All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Before we get started, we'd like to let you know that the Uncommon Gem podcast is an adult content show, meaning we may go into explicit detail or say some explicit words when talking about today's subjects. We also like to inform you that we're not paid or sponsored by any of the donations or charities in the episode. We simply just are giving it a shout out and hopefully spreading the word on some good causes. Thanks again for tuning in and let's get on with the show. We are back. What is up? Episode 17 of the Uncommon Gem Podcast. Good to be back, y'all. Glad we're back after that long break. Glad we got right into it with Camille. She's such a lovely talent, such a fun person to talk to as well. But yeah, we're back with episode 17. Really fun things happening out in the world. You know, the world's opening up more. It's summertime. It's people coming out. So of course, you know, lively spirits all around. Lively spirits all around. Always, you know, we like to have dope people on the show. We always like to bring on really unique characters and really unique perspectives and this person I'm really excited to have on the show she we met in high school way back when so this is a real throwback of a guest but I'm very excited because she has done such an amazing job with her whole life honestly but the career choices she's made is so fun and really cool with filmmaking but yes she is a filmmaker she's a director a writer an associate story producer and she works with a lot of horror effects and makeup so it's really cool to look at her Instagram but folks Please welcome to the show, Amy Kuge. Oh, I'm <laughs> blushing right now. Yeah, Kevin and I met, I don't know what, like sophomore year of high school. Who even knows anymore? I, pff, yeah. that, going back in that time, yeah. <laughs> I think I had dreadlocks. <laughs> like, there are some weird things going on, but Kevin was always super nice, so I'm so happy that we're both in New York doing our thing with entertainment and stuff. So thanks so much for having me on. Well, thank you for being on. And yeah, I, I'm glad you said that because honestly, it's the same feelings to you. You're always nice in high school and you're always also like very creative in high school too. And I'm glad oh, to see those creatives like shine because you, you would do these things where you would rap with our very good friend Savannah and you guys like do these really fun raps too. I remember that. Oh my God. I can't believe you remember that. We used to like, we do holiday themed raps at the lunch tables at school. Don't ask why, but they were very good natured, like really fun she's actually still rapping and then i i've threw the rapping towel like junior year of high school i was like i i'm not meant for this world but that's okay <laughs> yeah shout out to savannah yeah she's out there she's really and she traveled she was in thailand too so really shout yeah. out to her. well amy how you been it's, it's been a minute it's been some time a whole pandemic has happened yeah. but you've been busy nonetheless yeah. so tell tell the audience how you been i've been really good i don't i mean i know that this last year was crazy but somehow i feel like i really found my like ground in the industry but before the pandemic I was freelancing a lot which is fine I love freelancing I still do three freelance jobs basically part-time over the past year I started working for MTV and working on Teen Mom as a associate story producer so I've been good it's been really interesting being in that realm of reality TV I definitely feel for everyone who's had hardships and there's been a lot of ups and downs this past year but I'm going to focus on the positives. <laughs> there you go. Take the wins. Yeah. Take the wins. Yeah. What about you? Can oh, I you know, you just how you're doing, doing this whole podcast thing, living life large. It's no, so but cool. honestly, it's been, it's been fun, you know, especially because like, uh, it's been cool reaching out to such other artists and different perspectives. And 
I learned a lot from this show. So honestly, this has been a fun project to get into and a fun fun way to experience, I guess, education in a way. You know, different people know different oh, things. Oh, so. yeah, of course. I think it's so cool that you took this time to be like, you know what, I'm going to like spotlight all these different people, learn about all these different industries, and we can all kind of connect together. Correct, yeah. Over yeah. the airwaves. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, no one would know anything. Honest, honestly, folks, listen, just talk to people. Honestly, learn some things. Yeah, look at, look each other in the eye, <laughs> ask questions, and listen. Hell yeah. So, Amy, <laughs> please tell us a little about your film upbringing, because this is a really fun story. Like, you, you... You mainly stay in like the horror lane, but you really had like a fun like come up to get into this spot, right? So I went to school for I went to school at CU Boulder, Scobuffs. I don't know <laughs> if anyone out there is a Buffalo. Yeah, I went to school at CU. I grew up in a really strict Japanese household where they're like, okay, if you're not gonna be a doctor, you're gonna be an engineer. If you're not gonna be an engineer, you're gonna be a lawyer. And if you don't make six figures right out of college, then you're not successful and you're just a shame on our family. Like that sort of thing. So of course, I grew up wanting to do art. <laughs> and my dad was always like, you know, I'm not going to help you when you're on the street asking me for money. And I always remember that from like 11 on. I was like, you know, I'm just going to do my thing and I'm going to try to do it and try to make it. Yeah. So I just I went to school for art and for film and really tried to stay in that lane as much as I could. Landed in the weird social media realm, moved <laughs> to New York, was a social media manager for a few years for a few different companies and that gave me the flexibility to do films and do projects normally where I would have to work full-time and be in one place social media let me like go work on a set and make a little bit of extra money there and then do another thing like work in Albania for a month and a half on a film and That's all right, that yeah. sort of stuff so <laughs> it's been a wild ride but I would say to anyone out there who's worried about what they're doing just do it Hell the yeah. worst part is just not doing it and thinking about it all the time. You just got to do it. And I tell myself that every single day, like I have so many things I want to do, just focus and do it. And don't think about what anyone else says, because my dad's never had to pick me up off the street right. <laughs> every day that he doesn't have to do that. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's awesome. And you know, you really could tell too, it works because exactly like you said, like go chase it, go get it. Because when you look at your Instagram specifically, not only are you like really working with like your really close friends and like building these relationships, like you can really see your story through your Instagram, but you also like do so many different styles of art and really like take a serious effort with it. Like you, you do draw, you do this like uh, horror effects stuff. You do your own filming. You do work on these like productions and it's like really cool and unique to see you, like you said, chase what you want and really go for it. And because yeah. of that, now you kind of get Aww. to enjoy the fruits of the labor. You, you filmed in Albania, for example. Yeah. And I mean, like, not everyone's going to get what you do. Mm. And that's fine. There is definitely a niche for the things that I like. And I'm okay with being in that niche. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to ask you, so you are currently working on a show that's on Shudder, right? Yeah, it's uh, The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. It's on Shudder. Actually, the season finale is this Friday. So check that out if you have Shudder. It's yeah. an AMC like offshoot. It's like a, the horror Netflix. And Joe Bob was this horror host from the 80s. He used to have a show called Monster Vision on TNT. I think it was like 19 seasons or something crazy like that. And then it got canceled. So he kind of made his comeback a few years ago with the producers Justin Martell and Matt Mangerides. And then the director... Austin Jennings and they're still the same like three trio creative wow. team that has made the show come back and I would say that Joe Bob arguably is more popular now than he ever has been so it's definitely been a pleasure working in any way that I can with that team 
Hell yeah. And it's such a fun yeah. show, too. You know, it's it, always a good time to watch a good old B-movie, but sometimes I watch more modern movies, too, which I like. You know what I was thinking? I didn't know that you watched Joe Bob. Like, oh, you watched Joe Bob. Yeah, I love That Shutter. is insane to me. I'm so happy to talk to you then, because, like, Kevin asked me, and you'll figure out what the Uncommon Gem is later. But when, he, when I told him the Uncommon Gem, I didn't know if he would know what I was talking about. But I think he does if you like yeah. Shudder. Hell yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely, folks, if you're, if you're into spooky, gory stuff, get ready, because we're in for it now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're in for a treat. I wanted to ask if you wanted to talk about Ship to Shore, if you want to talk about that at all. Oh, yeah. So uh, Ship to Shore is a record label based in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and they release like a lot of horror soundtracks, video game soundtracks, just uncommon soundtracks. They do a lot of re-releases of like city pop from the 80s, from like Piper to... Uh, Momoko Kikuchi, I probably said her name wrong. I'm Japanese, but I'm not good at pronouncing <laughs> Japanese things. I'm really sorry. But yeah, I just do a social media for them part time. That's one thing that I've just been doing for a few years now. And I really enjoy spreading the vinyl love and telling Honestly, people about new releases. So a bit of a nerd alert, because obviously, as I was like, because we're friends on Instagram, so I see you post these things here and there. So I definitely bought a vinyl off of there. No way! Yeah, the Tumelo vinyl. Tumelo, yeah. Memories of Tokyo 2. Tumelo is an amazing artist. He, uh, Hell yeah. So Memories of Tokyo 2 is like a love note to uh, Jet Set Radio, if yep. any of y'all have played that game. Very Honestly, fun, very stylish. It's cool to me because I never play those games, but I watch a lot of my friends and cousins play it, and every time it's like, yo, this soundtrack is going. Like, this is uh, yeah. a good <laughs> soundtrack. So the two Mellow soundtrack is games. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of video games have amazing soundtracks. Um, one of my favorite artists, actually, that we've released her music from the label is Lena Rain. If any of you play the game Celeste, it's incredible. It's super relaxing music. We just got those records in um, Dallas in this record shop called 14 Records run by Bucks Burnett, who's a local character. If you know him, you know him. And he had never listened to any video game music or like any electronic type stuff like chiptune. But he listened to this soundtrack for Celeste and he was like, I listened to it for hours. It was so relaxing. It just put me in such a good mood. So, yeah, if you're sleeping on video game soundtracks, then put that on your turntable because they're actually really good. Yeah. Check it out, folks. Ship to Shore. And honestly, they have a lot (laughs) of cool stuff. They even have, like, Studio Ghibli soundtrack, all a bunch of stuff. And they're all great soundtracks. Oh, thanks, Kevin. Honestly, I love vinyls. Like, that's my thing. So as soon as I saw that, (laughs) All right, folks, as always, we're always going to bring a charity, a donation, or a service that the guests would like to call some attention to and talk about for the show. Amy, do you mind telling the folks what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, we're going to be talking about the nonprofit film organization called Film Independent. They kind of do a lot of different things, but basically I like directing young filmmakers there because they offer so much. If you become a member, then you have access to a ton of screenings. I think they have like 200 a year, maybe more than that. They also help filmmakers create their movies. They introduce them to an audience, help build the audience. And they also have gone to extreme lengths to help diversify the community even though there's been a lot of strides in filmmaking, there are still a lot of gaps that I think need to be filmed in terms of 
you know, people of color, women, directors, especially, I feel like that is a realm where there are still not a lot of female directors and people that are you know underrepresented. So I think that Film Independent does a great job of trying to diversify the filmmaking community while also offering like all these different screenings, memberships. They have a Spirit Awards that showcases like a lot of young filmmakers. There's even an award for first time film writers. So if you're a screenplay, you know, it's brand new, you're like, I don't want to show it to anyone, you could enter it into their competition and win. Um, they also offer a lot of money and funding for filmmakers, and they have an artist development program for writers, producers, directors, and documentary filmmakers that offers year-round networking opportunities. So if you're really looking to learn more about film, just get your feet wet, you're kind of worried, like, how am I going to meet people? How am I going to, like, get money for this? Film Independent is a great place to look and start because they've been around since 1981. They kind of have like an all-encompassing website where you can figure out where to go. Hell yeah. And, you know, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying with like getting that representation out there because for a lot of people of color, for a lot of lower financial people, they can't really get access to this kind of education or like this environment. And I mean, you specifically, you can speak to the power of how you've built a community, you've built trust and like relationships kind of working on sets, kind of working on these like kind of styles of, you know, productions, you know, and I think it's super important for someone to get in film to have that. Yeah. And I didn't like hearing this when I first graduated from college, but you're going to have to do a lot of stuff for free. And it's really difficult when you don't have enough money saved up, when you don't have enough money at all. So finding like places that will give you money to be creative is huge. And finding these networks where yeah, you might go and like work on a film set for free for a few weeks, or you might you know, go to this like networking event and not meet a bunch of people. But there is that one, there w- could be that one event that you go to where you meet your partner, your producing partner, your writing partner, and then everything changes. And like this creative spark is lit under you and you just start producing things with them and making things and they might start low budget and they might get bigger. And then soon enough, maybe you'll be signed on with a network or something. So I definitely think that there's so much value in just communities and fostering communities, meeting other people, even if it's an online community where you meet on Zoom every Friday, like so much stuff happens when you, like we said earlier, talk to each other. Right. Just talk about to like-minded people or people that don't have the same views as you. Both are valuable. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you know, with especially with entertainment, you know, you want to meet these diverse people because... It can have so much perspective, and especially, you know, given with where we live with Hollywood now, it's so whitewashed. So if you get more of that diversity, if you get more of that perspective, I think that really helps aids, you know, the spread of diversity in mainstream. Because a lot of the independent people to come from this are now making big budget movies, are now getting, like, the love and the shine. Exactly. They also, like, really try to make sure they grab a lot of mentors that are of color or are women to also make sure that's represented, too. Yeah, and a lot of the board members of Film Independent are also uh, people of color, women, people with disabilities. It's very diverse, so it's a good nonprofit. Hell yeah. <laughs> Folks, you're going to go to filmindependent.org. That's where you go to find out to donate. That's also where you go to find out some more information. But yeah, you know, if you're especially if you're into the film industry, I think it's really worth checking out, really looking at the resources they offer, and just kind of surfing that website. There's so much stuff that they show that you can get into and just on your own, like literally just looking at the website. Yeah. And I went to film school. I really appreciate film school, but I'm going to tell you a secret. You don't have to go to film school to make movies. (laughs) Say it louder. You don't have to go to film school to make movies. This is a great example. You could go on film independent and take 
a class or a course or whatever, whatever programs they have, they have them specific for screenwriters, directors, and producers for way less money than tuition. And yeah, I mean, I love higher education, but I definitely don't think it's necessary for certain things. Right. <laughs> you can learn a lot. You can film something on your iPhone. If you've never yeah. seen them. There's a, a movie Tangerine that's filmed on an iPhone. It's amazing. Definitely check it out. There you go. Amy just keep giving you that trust in yourself. You know, she, that's what she's trying to tell you. Just trust in yourself. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, folks, honestly, when Amy told me her Uncommon Gem, it wasn't shocking, but it was very awesome because I'm very hyped to get into it. So, Amy, do you mind telling the people what your Uncommon Gem is today? Yeah. So, my Uncommon Gem is a person, a gem of a person, and his <laughs> name is Frank Henenlotter. He is a filmmaker, and he is a seven-year-old man born and bred in New York City, right where Kevin and I are. Well, not exactly, but New York. <laughs> We're in Brooklyn. <laughs> he was born in Long Island, so a little different if you're around here, you know the differences. But yeah, so he's a screenwriter, film director, and a film historian, and he is my gem. <laughs> and honestly, uh, I really like that you mentioned the, the New York part, because when I was watching interviews of him, that accent is just to die for. Like, him talking about horror movies is just so great. So, uh, was it difficult to make? <sighs> It was difficult to make only because we had no money whatsoever. So we'd shoot until we ran out of money, and then we'd, you know, I wouldn't even see what the footage looked like. And uh, It's yeah. so good. Uh, tell us, so how did you get into Frank? How did you learn about him? Where did it begin? So I first learned about Frank. One of the, it was like the first year I moved to New York. One of my friends was like, want to watch Frankenhooker? And I was like, I've never seen Frankenhooker. And, I, I, you know, like now I'm like, how did I not know about this? I've always been into horror. I've always been into like sci-fi. I've been into kind of exploitation films. But for some reason, I just never went down that alley of Frankenhooker and Brain Damage and Basket Case, which are Frank Hannah Lauder's biggest films. Mm -hmm. So I watched Frankenhooker first. It's from 1980. And it is about a... Uh, <laughs> Frankenhooker. I mean, she's it's mad scientist. Girlfriend <laughs> dies during a party, and it's a tragic thing. It's it's a big accident. He wants to bring her back to life. So instead of going the traditional Frankenstein way of like just using her body parts, he digs up, gets a bunch of body parts from hookers. He basically goes to New York, like the grimiest parts of New York City, not anything like it is now. And collects hookers, and he gets their body parts, and he makes a Frankenhooker. In 1931, the world was horrified by the motion picture Frankenstein. In 1935, horror turned to terror with the bride of Frankenstein. In 1990, the makers of Basket Case and Brain Damage bring you... Want a date? Frankenhooker. I mean, that's the first time I heard of Frank Henenlotter. I was like, what the fuck Amazing. is this? It's so good. And it doesn't sound like it'd be good. Right. Right. Like if you, if I just did the worst pitch of that movie ever. <laughs> even if you were to give like, you know, the most detailed description of the movie on paper, even then you're just like, what am I reading? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, this is gross. But once you watch the film and has a lot of nuance, it's so creative. And the audacity of Frank Henenlotter to make it and you know run with it and not be ashamed by it but proud of it for being right. an exploitation film is what attracted me to him i'm glad you mentioned that because um in a lot of his interviews he mentions that 
he does not make horror movies he makes exploitation movies so mm-hmm. you know like like we had mentioned he's an old school new yorker so this movie really is set in those like old school new yorker times the real grit grimy kind yep. of streets so that's why these hookers come into play because that's kind of kind of what he's trying to exploit kind of what he's trying to call out and like you mentioned brain damage that movie kind of gets into like drugs and like yeah. that affected that kind of um, environment you know obviously these movies affects they're really like specific towards this kind of like things and it really plays off well in these kind of movies that's something else that i really respect about the man is that he made movies with no money like Mm. the first movie he made 1982 basket case he shot on 16 millimeter for those of you film people like probably on a bolex 16 millimeter for thirty five thousand dollars, which blows my mind because if you've seen basket case like it's a masterpiece in my opinion. It's not my favorite of his, but it's amazing. And for him to make that as his first feature, $35,000 on 60 millimeter, it just shows how creative he was and how unafraid he was to push the limit. What's in the basket? Open it, if you dare. Basket case. Honestly, yeah, and that's the beauty of it. Like he really believed in it in his own vision. I believe I even saw that, like, he didn't, because there's um, such a short budget, he didn't even know, like, what the film looked like for most of the project. So, like, he's no. kind of just and editing then... it as it went. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the beauty of this kind of run-and-gun, like, low-budget filmmaking, especially mm-hmm. back then. Like, God, we're so freaking lucky. We have mm-hmm. 4K, 8K cameras on our phones. And here this guy is back in 1982 on his Bolex shooting something. No, doesn't even know what it looks like. Right. Invest all of his money into it. And make something awesome and start his film career. Yeah, I mean, that's such a good point, Kevin, that he didn't even know what it looked like. He just went with it. <laughs> the film itself, like, looks so well because, like you said, it's shot in 16 millimeters. So, like, that kind of, like, literal, like, film looks so amazing for this specific kind of movie because it, you kind of want it to have that grungy feel. And it really oh, is yeah. grungy, like, in it's that sense. It's disgusting. <laughs> like, there's some hotel scenes in that film that you wouldn't want to take one step into that hotel room. Like Mm -hmm. you you see that and see how gritty it is. And it's just such raw New York. Mm -hmm. I don't know how else to describe his movies. And maybe I like Frank Kennelotter because I love New York, but yeah, I mean, all of his movies have that grit to them and the grunge. I want to dive into that a bit because, you know, you study filmed a lot, so you can kind of speak to this, but I really love how settings are characters in movies. A lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of my favorite movies are actually place or movies that take place in one location the entire time cuz that really Oh like, really? Like I, I love a bottle movie. I love a bottle movie oh. obviously. Uh, especially oh. if it takes place in like a whole day. Yeah, I'm into it. But yeah, like you said, like New York in this movie looks so dirty and it really adds to the the movie itself. So maybe you can speak on like yeah. settings and how like he really brings settings out. Yeah, well, with him especially like being born on Long Island, he said that as a teen he used to sneak out and he'd uh, take the train and he'd go to 42nd street which is now gorgeous Mm -hmm. and he would go to like all of the like grimiest parts of town and watch as many movies as he could i think he's quoted to say like he's watched over thirty thousand exploitation films which is insane (laughs) to think about he really really loves the city he loves kind of how like horrible things were back then And I think that that's so unique and attractive because people usually try to make movies really glossy, kind of like this fantasy world. Whereas with him, it was like, no, I want this to look like New York. I want this to be the grimy New York I used to sneak out to as a young adult and go sneak into these theaters and watch all these movies. And 
yeah i don't know it's just something about that like love of cinema that yeah. he really brings out and the love of the city the love of the streets that is really attractive you can see it you can see it in all of his films it, all of them have that aspect of like you wouldn't want to be caught dead in some of these areas <laughs> <laughs> but you want to be there like right. you wouldn't want to but you want to you want to see it you want to know what happens to these characters and i think it kind of goes along with the monsters that he creates as well like um, oh oh god yeah yeah what uh, yeah bile or what what's the the character lyle lyle a basket case yeah, yeah oh my goodness yeah what a, a cool, what, a, uh, what a looking thing <laughs> <laughs> if yeah you guys should look up belial if you're listening right now just open your phone and look up belial so belial um it's kind of cool actually like that character was so low budget for basket case for the first basket case and Hannah lauder actually was like he would like puppeteer belial like he was belial's hand that came out of the basket and a lot of the scenes because it was so low budget they didn't have mm. someone to do that so he would do that kind of stuff he would crawl into the little thing and pretend to be belial and oh, yeah. um yeah i mean that creature is made for nothing and <laughs> you kind of see how hollywood makes monsters now and they're so glossy and so cg and so sometimes not even real effects yeah and like i just love how practical all of this was and how practical you know all the the ooze and the slime and the blood and all of that yeah yeah uh i look practical effects very like nowadays some movies utilize them but more for like just a character costume than anything but i do miss the good old days of like i thought the evil dead remake i thought that was like a really good like practical effect of like modern times like yeah some of the stuff they were yeah. doing in that movie like really brought me back to like some of the old school horror movies in that sense oh yeah i, I like the new evil dead i still like the originals more but i do appreciate the remake I think it's better than the Halloween remakes. Don't kill me. I don't like the new <laughs> Halloween. I'm sorry. Jamie Lee Curtis is cool, but that movie was, I don't know. That's another podcast. Kevin, do you watch, did you watch Frankenhooker or Brain Damage or Basket so, yeah. Case? Uh, so I watched Frankenhooker. I have actually mm -hmm. never seen Basket Case. I was watching a couple clips, but I actually wanted to get mm -hmm. into this because one thing I noticed, I obviously, you know, like older movies, every director is going to copy something at some point, you know, like this is a constant oh, yeah. hand feeding chain, you know? But one shot that really draw my attention was the part where, like, the people explode in Frankenhooker. And, like, there's, yeah. like, a leg that, like, flies out, but, like, the camera's, like, stuck to the leg the entire time. Yeah. So, like, follows the leg. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I've seen that kind of style of shot or, like, that, that imitation of a shot so many times. And I'm not sure if it was him that did it first, but you definitely know, like, he definitely inspired a lot of people off that one kind of concept. A hundred percent. And, I mean, that really speaks to him being a film historian as well and watching thousands upon thousands of movies. Right. He is no stranger to saying like, oh, this was inspired by this movie from 1939 or this was inspired by this director. Like he is a film historian. So I like that you brought that up because I'm sure there's so many influences to his films. I know, especially on the cover of Basket Case, the creature like peering out of the basket. Mm -hmm. He said that that image came from a movie from the 30s that he saw as a kid. Oh, and wow. it like stuck with him and he was like it was the scariest thing i've ever seen in a movie and it wasn't even like a horror movie it was just like, a creature hiding in the bushes and he like used that for basket case in the 80s so many years later whenever you have been on a project or whenever you have yourself been filming something have you ever like used any of his ideas or been like you know what i'm gonna use i'm gonna use a frank Hake or Hannah Luder move right here you know more so in my screenwriting i've i've been working on a, a few different scripts and i really love love brain damage it's my favorite out of his movies brain damage it will turn you inside out 
And I really try to keep the balance of comedy and horror, which I think he does the best out of honestly most of like 99% of the directors um, that I'm interested in. He is the best at balancing comedy and horror. So that influence I think about a lot while I'm writing is just trying to keep things like, yes, they can be serious and you can touch on serious subjects, but there can also be that balance of humor that makes it more approachable for people and makes it more palatable to like watch, you know, because Frankenhooker's, if you, if there was no humor in that movie, it would be scary and bad. Yeah. Yeah, It's pretty messed up. Like just even the sex workers that are portrayed in that movie are really, it's really fucked up. If you look at it from I think the way he intended it to be, it's not supposed to be this like, oh, we're going to kill these hookers. And like, that's what this whole movie's about. It's about this like tortured soul who doesn't know how to grieve. And so he's trying to bring back this woman in this really disgusting way. And at the end, I mean, you know what happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I'm not going to spoil it for you guys. Yeah, but I, I think, yeah, it. honestly, y'all, if you're listening to this episode, y'all got to check out these movies. I'm sure they're very accessible. I'm sure some of them on Shudder. But, yeah, um, I'm sure that they are. I think that Frankenhooker is for sure. But yeah, yeah, y'all got to delve into these B. Like, I know it's like he has a very cool quote I looked at that he was like, you know, a lot of Hollywood movies nowadays he considers the B movies because they're not necessarily like a movie in his opinion. Like what he's trying to go for is such a specific vision and specific style. And I'm glad you mentioned how you know the characters have like ethos and like there's like actual like sadness to some of the characters because. It's not so much that these are wacky scenarios, it's that these are predicaments they're dealing with and they just, like, had to keep on going about it. Like, he's not trying to play, like, oh, yeah, and there's a Frankenhooker, you know? Like, he's like, nope, this guy is trying to get over it and he's making this this Frankenhooker now. Yeah, and just how unabashed he is to make title Frankenhooker. Right. Like, he's not hiding anything at all. And right. I think that a lot of people do hide a lot, especially nowadays, like, trying to be as PC as possible and... To be honest with you, I think it's sort of stifling cinema, stifling filmmakers to feel like they can't say what they want to, what they're thinking. Even if it's controversial, like we need these stories to be told so that we can talk about it. And, you know, maybe it resonates with someone in a positive light. Maybe it resonates with another person in a negative light. You can't make something that's bright and happy and cheery all the time. Yeah. And I think that's what makes me always go back to. Frank Henenlotter in the B-horror movies and the exploitation films of the 60s, 70s, and 80s is that it was kind of like the wild west of like horror. Maybe not so much in the 80s because there was the rating system that was pretty strict. I'm sure that his stuff didn't get shown in a ton of different countries and areas because of the name specifically. I think they rated it S and he was like, oh, S for sexuality? And they're like, no, S for shit. It's a shitty oh, movie. Damn. <laughs> and they said that to him, like, just because of what the content was. And maybe they didn't even watch it. Another filmmaker who that happened to, uh, Clive Barker, directed the uh, a lot of the Hellraiser movies. Not all of them. Ooh. But are you into Hellraiser? You know, I, I watched them when I was younger. I haven't seen them in a long time. But I remember specifically, uh, I think Hellraiser 3 is like a crazy one. I would have to rewatch them. It's been a minute. Yeah. You should definitely rewatch them. I like um, my order of favorites for them is I would say one, two, and then four. I don't like three. (laughs) Four is good. Five is interesting. One and two are the best. One Mm -hmm. is the best though. And if you don't agree, feel free to DM me if you're listening to this (laughs) and we can talk about it. But yeah, I mean, they, they gave Hellraiser film like such bad ratings. The first one Hellraiser, they said that it was just like, torture porn i think it was roger eber who said that Mm -hmm. and 
these movies, yeah, they have these ridiculous, outrageous things that happen and there is gore, there is sexuality. But for the most part, they have a lot more going on, like you said, with the ethos than with the character development and the storytelling. I mean, we can all have the same hero's tale like hundreds and hundreds of times and right. be satisfied. But how many of those movies really stick with you compared to like some horror films that have crazy stories? It's true. And, you know, I'm kind of glad that, especially with modern horror now, like now we're getting movies like Hereditary, Midsommar, Get Out, where they're more like getting into the drama of it all, more so than the actual like, here's a scary image, here's another scary image. They're not so much like being like, okay, this is like the real horror of it all. These people are suffering so deeply, like we're going to show you to you. And Yeah, um, I mean, Ari Aster, he dives deep into the familial woo! dramas. Ucha. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I loved Hereditary. I saw that in theaters. It was mm. great. I also saw Get Out in the theater, and that was a great experience too. Right. I feel like that's exactly the balance of comedy and like in the in the fear as well. Like exactly what Jordan Peele was playing at for Get Out, especially because you know, with race tensions, it's very uh very easy to like hone in on. But the way he was like yeah. Get Out in that movie is such a such a great way of writing, and it, it's really cool to me to see, especially because you know Jordan Peele like really likes horror movies you're probably positive that he's seen movies from frank or that he's seen b movies like this and kind of like drew something from that to apply oh 100 yeah yeah and i mean why i wanted frank and Lauder to be the subject of the podcast today was because i feel like a lot of people that are just getting into horror kind of stay on the surface mm -hmm. and they don't really dig deeper into the b horror unless they like go for that first but i think most of the times and i could be totally wrong with this people that enter the horror realm of things, you know, they wouldn't try to look at stuff from the B stuff from the 80s. And I, I think that it's a shame. I mean, I wish I would have known about him earlier, but I didn't. <laughs> so this is for those of you who don't know who he is, and don't know about basket gates and brain damage, especially brain damage. As I said before, it's my favorite one. And you should watch that too, Kevin. I don't want to yeah. spoil anything. Yeah, but, no, I, what I saw of it, like that little slug looking creature, I was like, all right, this I got to see where this goes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Aylmer. <laughs> um, there's actually an episode on Joe Bob about Frankenhooker. So you should watch that one. Oh, hell yeah. Actually, you know, as, yeah. as I was scrolling YouTube, I saw that he was like being interviewed on that show. But um, I did mm -hmm. read this fact. So he released Basket Case. And when they put it out in theaters in New York, they actually censored it. So they took out like a lot of like the horror scenes and left like pretty much only the sex scenes. So it's like, this is not my movie. Yeah. Like, this is very uncensored. It's not my movie. Or it's not, it's censored. It's not my movie. But then Joe mm -hmm. Bob actually released it uncensored in Texas. And that's kind of how it got its cult following. Because, you yeah. know, as Amy had mentioned, Joe Bob's obviously very big into this kind of environment, very big into these kind of movies. So people cling yeah. to it like it was a cake. <laughs> that just goes to show the rating systems are just super messed up with things. I think that now if you see pubic hair, your movie gets an immediate X. There could be like 10 people dying right before that pubic hair gets shown on screen, like corner of pubic hair. Someone's pubes yeah. makes the movie an X, but you can have all these other people dying, boobs, butts, all that stuff. But we're still afraid of pubic hair in uh, America. That's weird. I'm sorry. Like, it's, that's super weird to me. And it's limiting, too. It's limiting on the on the director's vision or the screenwriter's vision, too. Because obviously, yes, you know, some things are going to be extreme. Some certain visuals are going to be extreme. But I feel like we're now in this whole of, like, PG-13 horror. Like, now mm -hmm. that's going to be, like, the trope because they're like, well, if this movie's got to make money, this is the only way we're going to do it. we got to make it PG-13. And I think it's very unfortunate. Yeah. Um, yeah, and filmmakers shouldn't have to worry about that. Yeah. 
totally. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's pretty unfortunate. Kind of going off of that, like obviously you, you work a lot around the like effects field because you yourself have done your own effects for like horror effects. So what about these kind of movies have you taken away like to apply to your own effects? Uh, just that it's okay if it doesn't look perfect. A lot of my favorite movies actually have practical effects that don't look perfect and aren't incredible, like aren't super accurate to what it would actually look like. There's something nice about that. Like there's something nice about Aylmer and brain damage being this weird purple slug phallic brain thing. And, you know, like maybe if he looked more like a dick, people wouldn't (laughs) like it as much. Maybe if he looked like a straight up brain, it wouldn't be as humorous, but there's something really nice about that artistic expression being imperfect and having this like cartoonish look that I'm into. Of course, I love when things look realistic, like Mm -hmm. in Midsommar when they jump off the cliff and you see the broken leg, broken whatever, like that's shocking. And and it had its place in that film. And I like that it looked realistic there. But you know, when I see brain damage, I want to see my weird phallic creature guy and like all these like funny, slimy things. Like in The Fly, uh, oh, that's another amazing, amazing movie. It's one movie. of my favorites. I think I have I have a poster. You see the girl right there? Oh, yeah. From The Fly. So like with The Fly, like the the fly creature doesn't look like a straight up fly. Like oh, it's God. this interpretation of a fly. And it's horrifying. You, you kind of like want it to look like fly. a fly after what you yeah. see in the movie. Yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> that's what's great about it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, for me, like... I love special effects. I would by no means be like, oh, I am a special effects artist that works on movies all the time. Like that's not my full-time job. My Mm full-time job is story producing, but I like, I really appreciate and enjoy special effects and practical makeup. I do that for fun. Sometimes I, I'm trying to get into it a little bit more, but I really respect those artists. It just blends painting with filmmaking and it's, it's great. (laughs) I could go on and on about special effects and (laughs) talk about all my favorite movies and all the, my favorite oh, practical effects there's but... so there's so many yeah there's so many yeah. especially like with practical i always think of like um the thing john Carpenter. oh yeah oh that is like some some of my favorite practical effects for sure you know we live in the cg age it, it's marveled out i get it i get it we we live in cg and it's, it's wonderful but dig deep dig back and see how how much time and effort these people put into these kind of old school movies because man it's really something to behold especially like certain movies make it look so real like you mentioned the flying, yeah. like I just mentioned the thing, like these movies look so real in a way, like so visceral. Well, yeah, it's like this. It's exactly visceral. And another thing I have hanging up over here, American World in London, that transformation is is amazing. Yeah, I, uh, CG has its place. Yeah. Like there are some things that, you know, you look back on, you're like, oh, it would have been cool if, you know, that was like fake bat flying through the air rather than a rubber bat on a string. Like there are some <laughs> things that look better with that. But I think there's just something about the body horror that you kind of need the practical effects to pull it off because you're reacting with something real. And in this day and age where we're talking through screens and stuff, it's nice to see something real, (laughs) like a physical thing. It it takes up that space, honestly. It really does. Because sometimes, you know, when you're the viewer yourself, you really feel that like space being taken rather than, okay, that's just not really there. It's not really there at all. Exactly. Yeah. And you see these behind-the-scenes pics where the actors are just talking to, like, a green yeah. screen and, like, a, a person covered <laughs> in, like, dots, and it's like, wow. <laughs> you can kind of see it. One thing I do want to shout out this man for, I think it's really cool that he does this, but he actually did, like, collections of VHSs and DVDs of exploitation films, which I think is, like, really cool for this specific person to do because very clearly you had mentioned 
He has watched thousands mm-hmm. upon thousands of movies to get where he's at, and that kind of knowledge, especially. I would love to see an Amy collection at some point in the future, you know. But you know, oh what my I mean? god. Like, that's the kind of yeah. that's the kind of you know no one would know about these movies i'm sure if he didn't shout them out and i think that's really beautiful that he did that yeah look up something weird video that's the uh, distribution company that he works for and he, he uh works on it's based in seattle they shout out a lot of great exploitation films from the likes of herschel gordon lewis and harry novick and doris wishman herschel gordon lewis is someone that y'all should look up to if you're into splatter horror he's an amazing person as well yeah, I you did your research. He he releases a lot of stuff. He he's gone from <laughs> filmmaker to that because the last movie he made I think was in 2008, Bad Biology. I think that he kind of got discouraged from the, you know, Hollywood system and how he wanted things to be all under his control. Like he wanted full creative control of his films. And in order to make profitable successful movie, a lot of times you have to work with a larger company that's going to tell you no, you can't have this girl's boobs get sliced off and thrown into the river and eaten by dogs. Like, you can't do that. And he's like, but I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he stopped He stopped making films. And uh, he's gone into this uh, film historian, like, distributor route, which I think is really beautiful because it does still something he's passionate about, something that we need to know. Like, there's plenty of new stuff, but there's plenty of old things that we haven't seen yet and guess what folks he's still kicking he still actually goes out into like the alamo draft houses whenever they show his movies stuff like that to do a q a which i think is also pretty cool so i'm sure if you look up where he's gonna be obviously we're yeah. coming down from a pandemic so i don't know where exactly he'll be nowadays but i mean he's 70 so yeah. we'll see yeah. we'll see where he is but uh, <laughs> he's really nice actually some of my friends have talked to him like to work on projects and things and have said nothing but nice things about him and then he's super humble and sweet uh open and communicative and he has a great accent which i can't replicate maybe (laughs) kevin can no we'll put a clip right here it did well for me it bought me this apartment it did it it sold all over it still sells all over i mean i still get i still make money off the damn thing so that's how you measure success and it's got a huge cult following which is uh i suppose more uh, it would be better if i said that's more important than the money but no i need the dough folks i really do can um, you do a Long Island accent? Oh, it's so it, it's like the thing is I don't want to butcher it, but yeah, it very long, John. Yeah, like, you gotta <laughs> really get in, and yeah, it's it's. <laughs> I could just say Long Island. Yeah, yeah, and that's Oof, it. A bunch of characters. Listen, New York accents, beautiful stuff. Let me tell you. <laughs> do you want to hit on any big yeah. notes at all, or anything that you think we might have missed? I mean, we dived into it. I'm just happy that you watched Frankenhooker. Great. I mean, Kevin, can you tell the people what Franken like? Can you sum up Frankenhooker? I-, I need a little review. This is gonna you. be my synopsis. This is gonna be my synopsis. Okay. okay. This woman. Okay. <laughs> this is like. <laughs> so first of all, there's a crazy doctor. But okay, so there's a woman who is a prostitute, and she just so happens to be walking around the streets, right? And then, I believe she's murdered. Is that what happens? I forget that part. Um, well, he invites them over. That's like right. he goes out and invites them over and like throws a party and that's, that's right. when all the like body parts and the people explode and the like... pimp is there there's a pimp okay pimp this theory. pimp first of all whoever this person is when as soon as he walked on screen i knew he was a pimp one but two just a character <laughs> really grabs your attention <laughs> big gold chain he's like arnold schwarzenegger's lackey yeah. yeah so the doctor puts these pieces together of all these dead hookers and prostitutes and lo and behold becomes frankenhooker but she says so many limited lines. It's like very, it's very silly what she says the entire movie too. Like, 
really yeah, fun. Want a date? Looking for some action? Need some company? Just a fun stuff. Yeah, I really recommend that one. Um, good watch. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to give too much away because it, it really goes places too. But yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, they all they all go places. Yeah. So watch Frankenhooker, watch Brain Damage, and watch Basket Case, and watch Basket Case two and three if you'd like. There you go. You know, check it out. Uh, as Amy mentioned, there's an interview with Joe Bob. So definitely check out that interview. Check out the interviews in general. He, really fun stuff to learn, um, especially if you've ever been into like that industry or any kind of horror movie. I think you'll you'll learn a lot about it just by watching him speak. Yeah. And for him to like the fact that he made these movies is amazing. And his whole motto being like, make your own damn movie. That's not his motto, but I feel like that's a good motto right now. Just you make go. your own movie. That's a that's actually a trauma motto. Make your own damn movie from Lloyd Kaufman. Another great director, another great person. But yeah, make your own damn movie. Like Frank Hennenwater made a movie about a Frankenhooker and about a weird like brain slug drug creature. There are so many things you could do. We all have iPhones. We can all, we all have access to movies and cameras and things. Like just fucking do it. Hell yeah. <laughs> Amy, where can the folks find you? Please tell the people where they can find you because you're always doing great stuff. So please let them know. Uh, well, I'm on Instagram and Twitter mostly. Uh, my Instagram is Melty Feelings. Like your brain is melting, Melty Feelings. <laughs> and then uh, my Twitter is Mayumi uh, Amy. Just look at the description. I don't want to spell it for you. <laughs> yep, yep, we got, but, you, uh, we got you. I'm just starting to get into Twitter more. So yeah, great stuff. that's where to find me. Honestly, folks, when you check it out, you're going to see some really cool things. She She's always up to something, so definitely check it out. Oh, definitely check out The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. Really good show, too. Definitely a great way to access kind of B-movies, too. Yeah, um, for sure. The community is great. Tweet along with us. It's really fun. <laughs> oh, and the last thing I want to shout out is I'm working on the next season of Teen Mom, mm. and it's going to be fun. So please check that out on MTV. We got some out. juicy reality <laughs> TV coming up. I'm folks. not going to, I can't say anything because <laughs> we're in the middle of it, but yeah. Filmindependent.org is where you're going to go for today's donation or charity. I think we kind of like stress the point enough, but if you are ever getting into movies, I think this is a great resource. I think as Amy has mentioned, you know, we have the technology literally in our pockets. So what's stopping you from trying to pursue your dreams? You know, I think if you're really about it, this is a great way. This is a great opportunity for you to get into it and play around. And they, they have so many resources and tools for you to get into. So definitely check it out. And Amy, do you have any last words for the people before we head out? Oh, I just want to say you should follow Kevin's Instagram and also hey. uh, the podcast Instagram because <laughs> he's a lovely person and this has been really fun. So uh, that's thanks it. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Always <laughs> yeah. a pleasure talking to you. Always a pleasure. And hopefully we know we'll see each other soon in person when these streets of New York, you know, yep. <laughs> hopefully no brain yep. slugs filling us up with drugs or nothing like I that. I hope happen. they do. <laughs> <laughs> I want them to. <laughs> Folks, as always, you know, check us out, Spotify, YouTube, Google, Apple, SoundCloud. We'll be back again next Friday with episode 18. Always a pleasure, folks. Take care. All right. Mm-hmm.